Welcome to Added Value, where we talk about all things ad tech, martech, advertising, digital, technological, and try to make sense of it all. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Throughout this podcast, we're going to invite various guests in the industry to come on and give their take on all things MarTech, etc. If you have any feedback or suggestions, give us a shout at addedvaluepodcast at gmail.com. All right, let's do this. I'm Haley, and so long as you don't hate this podcast, I'll be your host. Welcome back to another episode of Added Value. Hi, Brian. Hello, Haley. I always forget to introduce you, but I didn't today. Are you happy about that? Box checked, yes. (laughs) I'm Haley. We have a very special guest. I always say that, but it's extra special today because we have an external guest joining the podcast. Everyone say hello to Mike Dadlani, who's the director of media sales at Ibotta. Hello. Hi, Mike. How's it going? It's going well. Thanks for joining us today. Happy to be here. I'm pretty pumped. I've talked this up, so you better be like A-game material today. I will be A-game. In fact, I spent my whole weekend thinking about talking points for today's <laughs> Lies. podcast. Lies. You already told me you went all around Awesome. San we got a live one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you're definitely in sales because you're a good liar. No, I'm just kidding. Perfect. Um, well, yeah. Thanks for joining. I'm super excited. Today, we're going to talk about um, product level targeting, reporting attribution, all things Ibotta, which is very relevant. Um, so let's jump right in. Actually, before we do, it's customary at the podcast, on the podcast, to tell us what you do so you can expand upon your role outside of directive media sales, but also, more importantly, what your parents think you do. What order would you like me to start? Let's start with what your parents think you do. Okay. Um, well, I think my mom and my dad's perspective might be a little different, but we'll start with my mom. Um, I think she just thinks I travel around the country selling coupons. Um, just given the nature of what Ibotta does as an app and rebates, she is a heavy user. So she redeems a lot of them. And she always sends me texts saying like, thank you for the Kellogg's coupon. I'm like, mom, I I don't work with Kellogg's. Uh, We do as a company, but I I personally don't. So have you had to get her less gifts, like fewer gifts because Mm, I wouldn't say that, but, um, she's appreciative of what the app has to offer. We'll just leave it at that. Okay. So she thinks you sell coupons. Yep. Okay. And she's trying to help them out. Yeah. Which is kind of true. She's, I mean, she's earned, on the right path. She's earned a couple hundred dollars and I bought a rebate. <laughs> so she's helping drive the business. Nice. We're excited about it. How Power about dad? user. Uh, dad actually knows what I do. He's he's very tech savvy, uh, data centric. Um, so he, he actually has a very clear understanding of, of what my role is, which is probably a good segue into what my role is. Yep. Um, I lead a lot of our media and data partnerships with a variety of businesses that could be anything from an ad agency, uh, a brand direct like a Kellogg's or a Kimberly Clark, or media platforms such as Drawbridge or other ad networks and and the like. So um, my role within those partnerships is really thinking about how we can help those brands and their, Mm -hmm. you know, the agency clients understand how mobile media is impacting offline sales behavior in the brick and mortar world. So I think this is a good segue into what Ibotta does as a company. Um, and we met, gosh, four weeks ago in New yep. York, you were coming into the office, yeah. um, to talk to our team. So give us the elevator pitch on Ibotta, but kind of walk us through the journey of from just couponing to now data and how you guys are using that to kind of monetize. Sure. So we're a four and a half year old mobile app. It's a free app. It's available iOS, Google play store. 
core premise is we give consumers the ability to earn cash rebates across a variety of shopping verticals. Uh, from grocery being the sweet spot, we've since expanded into beer, wine, and spirits, specialty retail, uh, restaurant, electronics, beauty, pharmacy, etc. cetera. Um, the way the app works is a consumer will come in and create a profile. Uh, we collect a variety of first-party data points when they register. And then from there, they have the ability to voluntarily navigate throughout our app and discover offers. Um, so an example of an offer would be get a dollar back on the purchase of a six-pack of Diet Coke cans. In order for the consumer to actually earn that reward, we put a couple steps in front of them. So the first one is brand engagement. We feel this is a very powerful part of our business if you're comparing it to some legacy tactics like paper couponing, which are more transactional in nature. Mm -hmm. um, that brand engagement could be anything from a 15-second video to a poll question asking about incrementality or competitive landscape, uh, as well as a recipe. Once they've interacted with that content, that will quote unquote unlock the offer, but no money has exchanged hands at that point. For them to get their dollar now, they would need to go to the store, uh, buy that product, and then take a photo of their receipt or link their loyalty card to our app, depending on the retailer, it's one of two steps. So you're basically incentivizing them to give you their data. Exactly. We want to collect every item that's in the basket on those receipts and be able to map it back to their registration information mm -hmm. uh, and really be able to go to an advertiser and tell them that you gave us X amount of dollars to deliver media on our app and that am amount of money translated into X number of units moved at the store. So obviously data is about how much of it you have. Mm-hmm. So how many users are registered? What's the data landscape look like in terms of uniques that uh, someone could actually leverage? Yeah, so today we're just under 20 million downloads. Of those That's downloads- That's big, it's a lot. Yeah, we're, we're really excited about it. Um, we're not taking our foot off the gas, so that will continue to grow. Uh, of course, there's a funnel, right? So of the 20 million downloads, we have about 13 million registered users. Mm. And then of those registered users, we're seeing between four and five million per month inside the app. Uh, using, using it, engaging it with content, and redeeming rebates. So I have a question in terms of the demographic data of your users. Mm -hmm. I would kind of think that it skews like my mom's age, couponers. And is that a correct assumption? Am I allowed to ask that? It is not, actually. You'd be surprised. And that's one yeah. of the reasons why we've made such quick traction with a lot of the major brands is they're noticing that that couponing age group is is growing old. Uh, the average mm -hmm. coupon redeemer is about 48 years old. The average user on, on Ibotta is 29 and a half. I can almost guarantee you there's a trend in when you introduced wine and beard spirits that you started skewing a younger age group. Is that correct? It is correct. Uh, in fact, we signed a, a very large partnership with Anheuser-Busch and they've been instrumental in helping us not only acquire mm -hmm. a younger demographic from the content, uh, that we have inside the app, but also just strategizing on marketing tactics that we can take a co-branded approach to go out and reach that younger audience. And is it fair to assume um, the company was started with the impetus of getting to the big data and this is a way how, or what's the, the original story, I guess, of so, why it was founded? You know, typical entrepreneur story, uh, our founder, Brian Leach, also our CEO, uh, claims he had a tough time redeeming a coupon on orange juice at Target a paper coupon. Mm. And he thought to himself, there has to be a better way for a brand to be able to reach me with an ad or an offer 
and get me to convert in the store. Because if you think about couponing, as we just mentioned, it skews older, but there's also a lot of associated costs that people don't realize. There's print of a coupon, mm -hmm. there's distribution of that coupon, there's clipping costs if you're talking about a print at home solution like coupons.com, but more importantly, in order for the consumer to actually redeem it at the store, it's margin dilutive at point of sale. So if I'm paying $4.99 for my Tropicana orange juice and you give me a dollar coupon, I'm now paying $3.99 and the mm -hmm. brand equity associated with that product is now perceived as a lower value item. For us, it's a cash rebate on the back end. It's yeah. not margin dilutive. There is no integration at point of sale. And we're rewarding the consumer for not only engaging with content, which we think drives loyalty over time, um, it, it's also giving them cash. So this started as a couponing digital business. It didn't start as let's find a way to get data about consumers. Oh, by the way, let's get a panel from couponing. Well, that, that, that was the second leg of the business was when you redeem a coupon, the data collected on you is, is anonymous. We don't know who you are. Mm -hmm. We don't know what's your age. We, we just know where you bought the product. Through Ibotta and the registration data that we collect and the way the app works, we're able to tie back every item in your basket to you as an individual. Mm -hmm. And then we aggregate a lot of that and make it available to advertisers. So with all the data that you have, I don't know if you have stats around how much data per user or aggregation of data, but what, what are the primary use cases for the data once it's collected? Yeah, there's really two. One is targeting and the other one is measurement. Um, so when we collect the data, think about an advertiser like Coca-Cola, and I use them in a lot of scenarios because they're a big client of ours, is Coca-Cola spends a lot of money acquiring data from third parties mm -hmm. to target people based on their purchase behavior. We have a tremendous amount of first party verified unrestricted data that Coca-Cola can use to target people outside of our platform. For example, everything we have from a purchase perspective is tied back to a deterministic device ID. I can pass Coca-Cola a list of device IDs that are all verified and mapped to a purchase of a carbonated soft drink in the last X number of days. Mm -hmm. Once that's passed into their media platform, they have the ability to target against those consumers programmatically and reach them throughout the ecosystem of their media strategy. For us, that's super powerful because there then creates a measurement component. They can then come back to us with exposure files mm -hmm. of people that they were able to reach outside of Ibotta. And because we're still collecting that purchase information against the users, we can cross-reference that information to tell them if the consumer actually made it to the store to buy the product. I mean, it's a step beyond you know, the typical offline location-based attribution because it's going a step further and saying they not only bought it at this location, but they bought this specific product. So Mike, I head up the client strategy team. Naturally, I spend the majority of my days talking with clients. And I know for a fact that being able to track down to the product level is the holy grail. And so I guess my question is, in theory, it's amazing, right? I mean, I yeah. bet eyes get really wide when you're speaking about this solution. But are clients and partners of yours ready for this? Um, we're just now getting used to offline attribution and being able to tie it back to a physical location. And now we're going a step further. So what kind of reaction are you getting from your partners? Generally, the reaction is very positive. Um, and it's a huge question in the industry of understanding what they do with this information. Because I think one of the things we'll probably talk about later is scalability within a solution mm -hmm. like this. But 
at Ibotta, we believe that the product level attribution is incredibly important, but not to do away with geolocation either, because there is an element that go, they go hand in hand. It's great to know that a consumer goes into a Walmart after being exposed to an ad by a CPG brand, but that measurement only takes the analysis so far. Being able to know that that person not only made it into the store, but they also bought the product, to your point, is the holy grail. But for a lot of CPG brands that are distributed amongst multiple retailers, they actually wanna know what retailer those units are being moved as well. So for shopper marketing initiatives, if I know that I moved 100,000 units as part of a, a media campaign and 60,000 of them happened at Walmart, that could inform decisions that I make in terms of how I am going about my shopper marketing strategy and where I'm focusing my dollars going forward. So I think a good pivot is what you mentioned, which is scalability. Because at the end of the day, if you have all this amazing data, not at scale, how useful is that when you know, you're know you talking to a media planning team or someone that's really developing the strategy behind it? So let's talk a little bit about scale. How impactful is that to the solution? You know, I think it's very important. Um, there is a world where statistical significance is good enough. Uh, as we all know, we live in a world that is heavily focused on modeling through lookalike mm -hmm. uh, methodologies and, and overall just applying data science to understand how a small seed can relate back to the larger picture. For us, we're taking a very similar approach, but we believe that aggregating a variety of first-party data segments is the better way to go mm -hmm. than applying really, really extensive modeling tactics where you're taking an audience of one and turning it into an audience of 100 that creates waste it creates questioning of of how ethical or accurate this data might mm -hmm. be and so for us I, I don't know if i'm answering the question directly but we believe scale is important we believe it's very important but at the same time we recognize that when you go spend a hundred million dollars on a marketing campaign you're not going to be able to know if every single consumer that was exposed to that ad bought mm -hmm. because that's not a realistic expectation. That's getting us a step closer, which is where Much I think closer. the industry is all, they're, they're always wanting the next closest thing. So we've talked a lot about attribution um, and certainly scale is important, but let's talk about targeting because I see a lot of media plans come through on our managed media side of the business. And I feel like advertisers are always looking for really unique ways to target individuals. So let's talk about that arm a little bit. So you talked about being able to get some type of first party demographic data. So what type of data are you handling by way of a targeting solution? Yeah, so when a consumer registers for the Ibotta app, we collect first name, last name, age, gender, email, zip code. Of course, we never share first name, last name, or email. It's only anonymized down to the, the kind of the profile level. So age, gender, geo. As they continue to use our app, we collect a variety of data points from geolocation pings. We have 700,000 geofences built around mm -hmm. the country that we use not only for in-store visitation measurement, but also push notification awareness. That's more of a marketing tactic for us. Um, once the consumer starts redeeming rebates, when they take a photo of their receipt, let's assume that I go to Target tomorrow and I buy 26 items and three of them have rebates on Ibotta. I will get cash back on those three rebates, but our system is designed to collect all, all 26 items in the basket, mm -hmm. which is a really powerful tool mm -hmm. for us because we don't need a rebate to be tied to everything. We're capturing everything on that receipt, inclusive of the items, but also the total spend, the date, the time, the store ID, 
if there was some sort of price discount in the store to understand price elasticity and a variety of other things that we then use and aggregate for targeting purposes. So, so let's pivot to brand studies uh, because I think this is um, very similar in terms of how can how can we use the data about the brand um, to see what consumers take is. I guess Brian is probably more up your alley just in terms of brand lift. But so what is how does this all tie into brand studies, brand lift as a metric? Yeah, that's uh, you bring up a touchy subject for us. Um, I like doing that. I, I'll be the first one to tell you that I am not a huge fan of brand studies, uh, particularly the way they're measured today. A lot of it has to do with click through rates to a website or Facebook likes or how many people tweet at you and if I were the owner of a product-based business that sells inside mass retail, if you were to ask me how I measure the growth of my business, would I tell you how many people visit my site on a site that I don't mm. sell anything? Probably not. Yeah. I'm going to tell you that my business grows by the number of units that I sell every year. And so when we think about brand studies, we at Ibotta lean in very hard in saying they're good to know if people view your brand as positive or negative, but from a perspective of is your business growing by way of the media dollars you're spending, mm -hmm. a brand lift study is not the right solution. So you're saying it's old school? I think it's old school. Okay. Yeah. I just want to make sure I and, understood your viewpoint there. Yeah, <laughs> just I mean, kidding. <laughs> if you think about click-through rate, if I'm measuring a Coca-Cola campaign on a click-through rate, but I don't sell anything on the website that people are clicking to, what is the success measurement? Well, could it is it true that like brand affinity is only a metric because we couldn't get down to this level before? It's almost like we're trying to get creative about seeing what does this brand mean to someone when they're exposed to an ad? Is it because we can't to date we haven't been able to really track to this level? That's exactly it. So we've talked about the good, but I know you guys are in a similar phase and we were a couple of years ago, which is um, startup trying to spread your name, et cetera. Um, so I know there are some challenges. Um, so let's go there. Let's talk about everyone's favorite topic, challenges in the business. So I know scalability we've already talked about, which yep. is kind of obvious, but let's go back to adoption and the difference between in theory, something sounding good and then partners actually signing up. And um, so for example, when I was at um, in Moby prior to Drawbridge, I had a lot of partners asking me for true unique coverage, which we could not do. And when I came to Drawbridge, I was so excited that we had all this data. But what I quickly learned is, in theory, our partners knew it existed. They were excited to have the data, but they weren't quite sure how to digest it. And so how is that impacting your day to day? What kind of challenges arise from being a progressive solution like uh, Ibotta? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I think industry adoption is always slow, uh, particularly in something this progressive, where we've found success. Uh, and it sounds cliche, but it's working with the most progressive brands in the space. So one of the things that, that we've made strong efforts to do is, is understand what the key measurement tactics are today, particularly when CPG clients are using a marketing mix model. What we've learned is that the majority of those models are very impression heavy. It's understanding how impressions drive efficiency, whether that's through brand lift, our favorite topic, um, click-through rate to a website, 
less so on verified sales. And it goes back to this notion of that not being available prior. So for Ibotta, we found success with a lot of forward-thinking brands. And where we're having a tough time, a challenge that we have is convincing brands or their respective agencies to adopt and test this type of behavior. Um, One of the things that we know is that anytime someone places us into a marketing mix model and they're only measuring us against impressions, we actually look like a really bad advertiser, Mm. uh, publisher rather. Mm -hmm. And so that I think is a huge challenge. And I I can dive into some specific examples of scenarios where we've lost business when we think we could. Mm. Um, But yeah, that's, I think the the biggest challenge is is overall adoption. So do you ever have uh, advertisers or partners who in theory want to use you and then some sometimes they use you for the wrong way or they just uh, when it comes down to it they're not ready to pull the trigger on like a progressive solution like this absolutely in fact I, I have a very real-time example of this last last week I got a call uh, from one of the ad agencies that we work with asking about I mean, incremental opportunity in q4 that's my favorite term incremental opportunity yeah, sorry it's very easy I got to excited say, like, right when you said that I was like <laughs> Who doesn't love incremental yeah. dollars? So uh, the initiative of this specific campaign was to promote a new product that's coming into market for a very established brand. The goal of the campaign is click-through rate to a website that educates people on mm. what the new product is. What we proposed to them was a solution that would deliver native media content within the Ibotta app, promoting this website and the new product, mm-hmm but only charging them when that media interaction led to a verified sale at one of the retailers that they already have distribution. We had projected to move hundreds of thousands of units while also delivering the rich media that they're gonna go buy on an impression basis elsewhere, programmatically, publisher, direct, whoever, but they won't be able to tie it back to a sale the way Ibotta can. Mm -hmm. We ultimately were not going to win the business because of the way we price that, which is on a cost per unit sold. One would think that for a new product, <laughs> you would want to measure on sales, but um, it's like hashtag you know, confused because yeah, we get asked all the yeah, yeah. we and get asked a lot like hey can you price this on a CPI CPD yeah. CP whatever yeah S- sales are a terrible proxy for success yeah, yeah. <laughs> who looks so what at, we've been told. who looks at sales yeah yeah so uh, that was wow. challenging and also frustrating I think it goes back to the adoption comment of you know, they're not ready to measure this. And Mm. believe it or not, I think one of the challenges that we're having is that a lot of agencies and really just marketers in general, I don't want to profile this specifically to ad agencies, but they're very reactive. They are not proactive in proposing and introducing new solutions. A lot of times it's the client's asking for this, so I'm going to give them that, even though I know out of left field, there might be a solution that's better. So in theory, again, they... It's almost like they're calling you because they know it's a good solution, but the details of it are like too much to digest and they just can't actually execute it. That's frustrating. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's exactly That's a big it. challenge for sure. Yeah, it's like us, uh, Drawbridge, a couple of years ago when I joined, you know, I have the story of just being in the, bucketed in the innovation bucket, which is a thimble of a bucket compared to even what mobile mm-hmm. was or what desktop is still today. You know, just trying to get them to convince that, like, where do, where do you guys fit? Yeah, um, I think the, the innovation piece is interesting in that we do get bucketed into some of these smaller budget test programs. And then the feedback we get from a lot of our partners is, oh, you don't have the scale. 
And when they give us the smaller budget, it's often geo-targeted <laughs> to Des Moines, Iowa and Bloomfield, Illinois and small, you know, you're like, it, we agree. Yeah. Tier like four, deja vu, tier right? five <laughs> it cities. It is. I'm like, I just, yeah. I'm like excited just, to it's talk to you in two filter. years. Yeah. It's, just, it's terrible because you're <laughs> just is. being judged for the wrong reasons. And, you know, it's like what, what bothers me too, and when that used to happen with drawbridge is that that becomes kind of like your brand legacy within mm-hmm. the agency or whatever. And that gets perpetuated versus it's the totally wrong way to look at this innovative new thing that you just brought this agency or this brand. That's exactly it. So a good segue is if you, into the next question, which is if you could educate media buyers, strategy teams about better ways to think about targeting and attribution based on your experience, not only in the space, but specific Dibata, like what would, what would you tell them today? I think at the highest level, I would ask them to focus on what drives business growth. Um, So it goes back to my comment of how do you measure business growth if the only thing you're looking at is how many people visit a website that does not sell the product that you're designed mm-hmm. to sell? So offline sales attribution uh, is insanely important, especially looking forward as brands are looking to better understand how their investments are impacting that type of behavior. I want to throw out a softball. I probably know the answer to this, but see if it's analogous to our business too. Does your solution tend to get better traction the higher you go up into an organization? It does. In a lot of scenarios, uh, the answer is yes. I think when you go and talk to a senior marketer at a CPG brand, particularly for us, where we do have a very strong shopper marketing product available, for lack of a better term. And so when we can go to a senior level marketer and say, you currently use paper couponing tactics. And when you do that, you pay for print, you pay for, for clip and you pay for distribution. And then you measure success on any campaign that drives a coupon redemption rate north of 1%. We look at them and say, why are you measuring success on 99% failure? When there is a more innovative tactic that reaches a younger growing audience, growing not only by the number of individuals, but also by purchasing power, where you're not paying for print, you're not paying for clip, you're not paying for distribution, and you're still paying on a cost per unit sold. Would that be of interest to you? I don't know if we've ever heard the word no come out of a senior marketer's mouth when we ask the question like that. So we've talked a lot about targeting attribution, obviously a big part of my role and your role are insights. What can partners expect back from SKU level targeting in forms of reporting and and insights? Yeah, there's a there's a lot and it, it really varies by the way we structure the campaign and which partners we're working with. But at the highest level, they will get an understanding of what percent of people that were exposed to their ads uh, on the mobile or, or desktop landscape actually made it into the store to buy a product. Um, we can go as far as breaking that out by SKU. So mm-hmm. within Diet Coke, what percent was mini cans? What percent was bottles? Oh. What percent was two liters? We can look at price elasticity to understand when there's a price reduction in the store, what percent increase in sales actually is driven by that type of promotion. We can look at basket adjacencies. So what other products or product categories are often in the basket when a certain product is bought? That's cool. Um, There is a lot of different reporting mechanisms that we can provide. uh, But I think the most important and probably the highest level, which is what people are adopting, is purely what percent of people exposed to my media are converting at the store. 
adding to that, I think, you know, one of the reasons why I'm sitting at this table that I am today is because of the partnership that Ibotta and Drawbridge are, are building together is we are trying to solve and create a very seamless and easily activated solution for advertisers to help them target consumers more efficiently through first party verified purchase data. And then inversely, you guys go place the media against those partners or those consumers and then sending exposure files back to us and letting us provide the attribution on the back end to tell you what percent of the people that were exposed to the ad that you delivered to them actually converted inside the store. I mean, it's like efficiency on efficiency on efficiency. Yes. Uh, tying it up to a unique and also reporting back at that granularity is definitely uh, driving unique and uh, driving unique solution for efficiencies, which is what our partners really want to do at the end of the day. So absolutely, it's huge. We're excited. Huge. All right, so I could talk about this all day, but let's do something a little more lighthearted. Let's okay. let's let's give Mike a little quiz here. Oh and I'm, I haven't prepped you at all for this. No, nope, but you not know the all. quizzes exist. So, but I have to tell a funny story first. Um, when I met you in New York, I was 99% sure you told me you've only lived in Colorado for three months. So I thought this morning when we talked again, I should maybe validate that answer. And I'm like, so you've lived in Colorado for three months and you're like, no, three years. So the quiz is focused <laughs> around Colorado because I thought you were a new resident. But this is even more, I guess, relative now because you should know these questions. I'm almost a native. You're basically a native. And I have to give a shout out to New York. You were in New York 10 years before Colorado. I always tie it back to the East Coast somehow. But uh, so this quiz is how well does Mike know Colorado, where he's been a resident for three years and not three months. You ready for this? (laughs) Sure. He just rolled up his sleeves. He's like, all right, let's do this. (laughs) Dig in. All right. Question number one. The U.S. Air Force Academy is located in what city in Colorado? Colorado Springs. Wow. I was going to give you multiple choice, but nope. the confidence. Ding, ding, ding. I played ding. the golf course, so I know it. Nice. You are correct. Colorado Springs. <laughs> All right. Uh, next question. What order did Colorado become a state? Do you need the, do you need the list? Yeah. I'll All take right. the list for this one. <laughs> 21st, 38th, 18th, or 44th? 21st sounds right. Close. 18. 38. Ugh, I wasn't even right the second I kinda time. I kind of thought it was earlier than That's that. That's a tough like, one. I oh, guess man. if you move over, though, from like east to west. You just start counting. Yeah. Yeah, nothing right in life is easy, guys. I mean, okay. who sense. said these questions should be easy? No, I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Question three. Colorado is the only state that's turned down what global event? And I'll read you a list. I think I know it. Oh, my gosh. The U.S. are the Olympics. Ding, ding, ding. Wow. U.S. Olympics. <laughs> That's good because I had a hard time coming up with like multiple choice answers. I was like the International Wrestling Championship, the International Ski Competition, the International Chess Championship, or the Olympics. So The, the funny thing about it is the state of Colorado is now fighting to be reconsidered for the Olympics because of the benefits of building a high-speed FOMO. rail into the mountains. FOMO at its finest. Yeah, exactly. Can I just uh, say I'm glad that I found out you have lived there three years because if you had only been there three months and got two right without me reading the answers, I would have been like, wow. Okay, good. All right, Brian. All right. What major American food staple did Colorado claim as inventing? Curly fries, the cheeseburger, fried pickles, or pumpkin spice lattes? I love your accent. Fried pickles. Oh, man. I thought you were a foodie. I am a foodie, but what Colorado created? What was they, the first they claimed question? To have 
created it or invented what, it. What major American food stable did Colorado claim as inventing? So it's curly fries, cheeseburger, fried pickles, or pumpkin <laughs> spice lattes. I'm going to go with curly fries. <laughs> cheeseburger. Cheeseburger. That's really? a tough one, too. Apparently. Tough How could they be the 38th state and not have a cheeseburger <laughs> prior to well, that? Well, I don't think cheeseburgers don't were around when the states were. That's know, so still weird. Still upset about the, it. The uni- I know. Look, yeah. seems I didn't like Mountain or something. You know? like, would be a- I mean, he knew the Olympics off the top of his head. I don't know if I would have guessed that. Yeah. Okay. Question five. Which president is from Colorado? Herbert Hoover. Is it Herbert or Herbert? Herbert Hoover. Herbert, <laughs> Herbert Hoover. Dwight Eisenhower. Millard Fillmore. Or none of the above? Because I don't know, I'm going to go with none of the above. That is correct. I actually, actually, that's correct. None of the presidents are, but I accidentally highlighted Miller Fillmore, so that looks like the correct answer. <laughs> I meant to highlight none of the above. None of the presidents or vice presidents are from Colorado. Wow. Good. Wow. I don't I'll know what that, that says about your state, but anyways. All right. Next. Are we, are we ready? All right. So every year, Colorado hosts the world's largest skydiving competition or convention, cattle roundup, tough mutter, or rodeo. I'm going to go with the, the cattle. Cattle roundup? Yep. Close. It's the rodeo. Really? I'm not going to lie. I didn't know what a cattle roundup was, but I just wrote it because it sounded like very Colorado-y. It does sound pretty cattle Colorado-y. Round- what is a cattle roundup? You just, rattle- you just <laughs> <laughs> round up cattle? <laughs> okay, last question, and then we'll give you your score. Colorado has more what per capita than any other state? Do you know before I read it off? I think so, but I'll let I'll you I'll be shocked if off. you get this correct. Okay. What do you think it is? I think it's breweries. Okay. There's 57 wow. within five miles of my <laughs> apartment, so I had to just assume. He is correct, ladies and gentlemen. It's microbreweries, but I think breweries is fine because I really don't know the difference anyways. Uh, so here were the options, though. Cowboys, hipsters, <laughs> rodeos, or microbreweries. I thought you would guess rodeos. I don't know enough about the rodeos. But clearly you're an alcoholic. I, I wouldn't have guessed Just hipsters because I've been to Brooklyn before. <laughs> um, but there's a lot of breweries in Colorado. Well, it's correct. All right. What's his final score here, folks? So you answered four correct and three. In- I mean, that's pretty good. You got yeah, a four out of seven. Good. I didn't get any prep materials. so That's true. Well, congratulations. You do better than, let's just say, prior contestants have done. We don't want to call you. it any names, but... Well, thanks so much for joining, Mike. I know you have to jet off to the airport to catch your flight, so we won't hold you too long. And we won't make you do the impression because we're running tight on time. But I thank you very that. much for joining. You've been an excellent guest. We'd love to have you back sometime. Um, so thanks again for, for jumping on Added Value. Absolutely. Happy to be here.